Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of God. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he expected it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry from the persecuted. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever noticed how many people in the world buy books and don't read them? I'll admit I'm as guilty as many, any. Uh, my wife would probably tell you I have too many books. As an English and philosophy major, I've got extra books. But I think there's one genre most likely to sit on your shelf unread. Poetry, right? Poetry. Don't you wonder sometimes what percentage of poetry books are bought and never read? Seriously, someone buys them to put them on the shelf so people can see them and say, Wow, you read poetry? Isn't that the main reason? Shakespeare is required reading in high school and college, some places. Plenty of people own Shakespeare. Not many people crack good old Billy open to read. You don't have to anymore, thanks to spark notes. People don't read him because poetry is hard. Which is just great because our text today is from the book of Isaiah. And the entire book of Isaiah counted 65 chapters of poetry. It's confusing. It uses metaphors. It doesn't bother to explain itself. It says what it means and expects you to figure it out. Perfect to read if you're trying to sound deep. Otherwise, it's a pain. So you crack open Isaiah, maybe because it's one of Jesus' favorite books of the Bible. He quotes it all the time. You figure it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So you crack it open and you get, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. What? (laughs) Who is my beloved? Who even says my beloved? Who's growing grapes and why? Poetry expects you to ask all those questions. It won't give you the answer. It expects you to work for it. So, let's get to work. This whole thing starts with someone singing a song to their beloved. This isn't a Romeo and Juliet, wherefore art thou, beloved. This isn't eighth graders writing poetry about their emotions, beloved. It's not roses are red and violets are blue, beloved. Beloved here means 
faithfulness. And the beloved is God. It means the one who I am faithful to. That's powerful, isn't it? Love isn't a sentiment. It's not an emotion. The one you love is the one you are faithful to. Which means human love, our love, is always imperfect. We never love perfectly because we're never perfectly faithful to each other. We are always striving to imitate God's love, which is perfect because it's perfect faithfulness to us. And it's actually this relationship that's at the heart of this passage. God's perfect love revealed in God's perfect faithfulness. And our imperfect love revealed in our imperfect faithfulness. But it's not God who starts speaking. Did you catch that? Have you seen that show, What Would You Do? Has anyone seen that show? Maybe. The show creates this situation. Actors are brought in and they set a scene. And there's one, it's an elderly guy waiting at a bus stop and young people are harassing him. And this whole group, they're actors. They're taking his walker. They're making fun of him. They're poking at him. And the whole point of the show is, what will passers-by do? Will they step in? So someone who doesn't know their actor is walking in and says, Hey, punk, get out of here. My next call is to the police. What kind of jerk picks on an old guy? And you're like, yeah. Another guy, I'm going to go get some of my friends and we're going to do this to you if you're not gone when we get back. The producers of the show stepped in in that one. But it feels vindicating, right? To see someone step in and do the right thing. That's this verse. The first person talking is the prophet Isaiah. And he's mad. He's mad because Isaiah has seen what God has done. God, and, and he tells the story about how God planted this vineyard. He plants this vineyard and there was good soil and God dug up the ground and he cleared out the rocks. And then he planted vines, but only, only the best vines. And then he built a wall all the way around it and this huge watchtower in the middle of it so it would be protected. And the vine, it should have grown good grapes. And it grew wild grapes, useless grapes. The other word for wild grapes, stink berries. God put in all this time in stink berries. And right when it feels like Isaiah is just getting warmed up, God steps in. Thanks, Isaiah, but I've got some things to say too. And God says, judge between me and my vineyard. What else was I supposed to do? I did everything right. It's a fact. Look. And my vineyard didn't do right by me. So now I'm going to rip down the wall that was protecting it and, and command the clouds not to rain on it. And then God ends with, oh, and by the way, the vineyard, it's you. Mic drop. God walks off the stage. Did you catch it all? Poetry. Every little piece needs to be picked apart. The first thing that happens is God plants a vineyard on a hill. The hill has good soil and God digs it, pulls weed, builds a fence, clears it of rocks. He plants good seeds, builds a watchtower. What's all that? Well, we know God's vineyard is us. It's the people of God. So planting the vineyard, it's like baptism, right? When you're baptized, you join the church. God pours out his spirit upon you to clear away the stones and weeds. And he builds a wall around you with scripture. Scripture is called a wall. So evil things don't enter in. And then he builds this watchtower to watch over everything. A watchtower, maybe the church, right? People to hold you accountable, to encourage you, to comfort you in times of need. 
We're baptized, and then God gives us the scriptures, the church, and his spirit, the wall and the watchtower. So there you are, a fresh spiritual garden, all cleared of rocks and weeds, ready to rock and roll in your Christian life. Just those little plants poking up, a couple leaves, and the promise of fruit to come. You're good to go. God has it all taken care of. Then what? Right? You're baptized. You join a church. You've got this spiritual garden God's planted. Then what? Maybe sprinkle on some church, some Sunday school, maybe VBS. If you're the right age youth group, buy a Bible. You try some prayers. And then life, right? Maybe high school. And you're figuring out, who am I? What am I passionate about? What are hormones and where will they lead me? You're figuring all of that out, so you pause the garden because you're busy. You'll come back to it as soon as you get a chance. It's got the wall and the rocks and it's all cleared and the watchtower. Come back later, no problem. And then college and the college experience, maybe some partying, maybe you're living in the library, but you know you've only got four years of college, so you press pause on that spiritual garden to live into those four years. It's got the walls and the watchtower, and you've got the baptism thing, so come back when you get the chance. No worries. Then it's starting a family and getting settled, new job, maybe kids. There's so much going on. You've got no choice but to press pause on the spiritual garden. I'll come back to it as soon as I can. I get it. Our last year and a half... Graduated, married, moved, two new jobs, moved again. We pressed pause, too. One morning, we're just too tired to wake up and do a devotional. Tomorrow. And then the next day. And then several weeks later. Or it feels like we read the Bible enough at work, we don't need to read it at home. So for now, we'll put that away and we'll pick it up later when we have more energy. We press pause. And I think we assume that you can press pause and the garden just remains empty, right? It's got the walls and the watchtower so you can press pause and it'll maybe grow some on its own or, or it'll just wait there. All it needs is rain and sun and forget about it. You trust the watchtower and the wall and you'll come back when you can. You're baptized, so you're good. Come back when you can. The garden will still be waiting right there for you, but you can leave it and have it stay exactly the same. But you can't. Other things begin to grow. I was once helping at a middle school Bible study in my younger years. Uh, Someone else was leading and the kids were all sitting on these beanbag chairs on the floor. And the lesson is about God's love. And these two girls were whispering to each other at the back of the room during the lesson. So I leaned in and asked them to pay attention. And thanks, I said as they looked forward. A minute later, they were back at it, whispering, giggling. And I caught their attention, and I pointed violently toward the front. And they giggled, and they looked forward. And then they kept talking. And I gave them a minute, and I'm like, maybe they're just working it out. And they kept going. So I leaned in again, intent on reforming them. Like I said, my younger years. And I say, listen, we'll be playing games in just a minute, so let's pay attention for now. And I went for the guilt to twist the knife, right? How do you think God feels that you won't pay attention while we're learning about him? I thought that was a real zinger. But one girl looks at me 
He knows I love him, so it's okay. He knows I love him, so it's okay. That's it, right? We leave the garden and press pause. God knows I love him, so it's okay. I'll come back later. I don't have time to pray right now, but God knows I love him, so it's okay. I can't go to church today, but God knows I love him. Next week, next month, next year, when I have kids, I can't read my Bible today, but God knows I love him. I can't pray, but God knows I love him. So it's okay. But on what definition is that love? Picture a high school couple. No offense to high schoolers. There they are. They love each other. They hold hands. They text all day. They make eyes. Then she gets sick. Say she becomes one of the 17% of teenage girls who will have a major depressive episode this year. So she's sad all the time. And she's anxious. Doesn't want to go hang out with their friends. So he goes on without her. She knows I love her, so it's okay. And she's always sad, so he hangs out with other people who aren't because it's sort of a downer. But she knows he loves her, so it's okay. And he goes to school and sports and video games, and he's too busy to drop in, but she knows he loves her, so it's okay. It looks bad to hold hands, but she knows he loves her, so it's okay. At some point, right, at some point, a friend needs to step in and say, hey, exactly what do you think love looks like? You've got to either treat her better or stop saying you're in love. Those are the options. Because love, like I mentioned, love isn't a feeling. It's not something you can say. It's faithfulness. It's constancy. You can see that this boy doesn't love her because he isn't faithful. He leaves her when she needs him. He doesn't delight in her presence. He leaves. This happens. This happens. It's not the end of the line. It happens, but it does require a wake-up call. And that's what Isaiah does. No one wants Isaiah's job. No one wants to be the friend who has to have that conversation. Because Isaiah says it to the entire nation of Israel. He looks at them and says, Look, God, he built the vineyard, the wall around it, the watchtower. He's forgiving your sins, eternity in heaven, protecting you. And you're just going to say, God knows I love him, so it's okay. Show up when you want and expect there to be fruit whenever you want. And otherwise expect God to just wait around twiddling his thumbs, hoping that today is the day. It turns out God doesn't love that answer. When Israel left God ignored him, didn't talk to him, didn't make sacrifices or obey commands. When in Israel pressed pause on God, weeds crept in and began to grow. And these wild stink berries crept in. Grapes that tasted nasty and were inedible. I'm not going to pretend we're in different camps on this one, you and I. I've been there. Felt too busy. So I pressed pause on the garden. Felt like I didn't have time, so I stopped checking in on God, stopped listening as much as I should, and I continue to learn that if you don't watch God's garden, other things start to grow instead. Things that don't bear fruit. Because you can't press pause and assume that the garden will stay empty and waiting. That's just not how it works. Something will grow while you're not watching. Because while God is infinitely faithful, and while he'll forgive and protect, it turns out God doesn't really like being abandoned. 
God doesn't feel loved when we don't show up. And when God baptizes us with his spirit, builds the wall, the watchtower, and then doesn't find us being faithful, God's hurt. I think sometimes we think about God as a thing instead of a person. Isaiah's sermon, though, isn't about us. It's not about how the weeds are bad for us or how they taste nasty or how we deserve better than eating weeds. We deserve grapes. Isaiah's point isn't us at all. This isn't that you deserve better. It's that God does. God isn't a mutual fund that you put money into and someone manages it for you. God is a person who desires a relationship. He wants to talk, to spend time, to know you, and for you to learn about him. But God is different than us. In the end, if you look, his complaint isn't even that he was forgotten. It's that when he looked for justice, there's bloodshed. And when he listened for righteousness, he heard the persecuted crying out. God's complaint is that we have abandoned our spiritual vineyard, and in doing so, we have failed to fight for justice and peace. Because that justice and peace, justice and peace in the name of God, they come out of a spiritually rich soil. So I wonder if God knows I love him, so it's okay might not actually be okay. Will you pray with me? Father, we confess that we press pause on our relationship with you. We don't do it maliciously. We do it because we feel busy, we feel overwhelmed, we feel like we don't have time. But perhaps we don't have time not to. So open our eyes to ways we can make space for you, to come to you in prayer, to open your word, to sing praises to you, and hope that you delight in our presence. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your Son. Amen.